0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Line Observer with Val Hughes of The Value Guys. I'm a 30-year Wall Street veteran who has taken on a secret identity and gone underground in order to provide you my candid views on a handful of stocks out of each week's Value Line Investment Survey. You've seen my face on TV. You've seen me quoted in the news, but my bosses would never allow my unvarnished views on the air, so I've disguised my voice, and they'll never know. This week, I look at the March uh fifth thank you 2010 edition of the value line investment survey and um i picked out three stocks again this week that i think are pretty good values but before i get to that a couple of caveats first this show is for entertainment purposes only uh that's not a guarantee also we may have conflicts of interest on the show i may be recommending stocks i actually don't like i may be avoiding recommending stocks I actually do like, I may do the opposite in my personal account that I'm recommending here on the show. So just be aware of that. And, of course, the reason I might do that is because uh, I'm drinking here on the show. So it's after work. I'm kicked back and uh, just reading Value Line like I do every week. Um, See all the caveats at www.thevalueguys.com. There's also a bio and uh, some photographs there, etc. cetera. Um, now, this week, uh, I do have some apologies again. First, the show's very late, again. And this year, 2010, uh, the markets have been a little better. And, uh, of course, small cap value, which is what I do, has been very strong. I just was looking. The Russell 2000 value, which is the benchmark, is up uh 75% year over year uh from last march to now and you know don't ask me what it did the prior 12 months cuz it wasn't pretty but right now uh a lot of funds have closed just because they're up a lot and all of a sudden honestly people that hate my guts are calling me up because we've got some nice numbers et cetera. but you know so does all small cap value land so it's been very busy I've got to move. I've moved, which people know. Um, And so, my apologies. I'm going to try to get caught up with the show. Fortunately, the stocks I'm going to talk about today have not moved terribly. So, I think there's still some good value. But I want to thank... uh, We had some email. I asked a few questions last week about... I was trying to do a blog just to summarize the comments on the show. Between the rant that I do and a couple of stock ideas and honestly you know i spent years writing long reports and such it 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 was starting to be too much of a responsibility and obligation and um i you know a handful of people wrote in saying they they really want to keep the blog going and i really appreciate that um but you know not enough people to make me want to keep doing it because i just it was just uh i think causing me you know some problems so i may do it Occasionally I may not, I don't know, but I apologize. Uh, It's not going to be a regular thing. And then um, also uh, Phil, our friend Phil, also liked the blog. And, you know, I apologize, Phil. I just, I'm not finding the time. There's some good ideas. Maybe I'll put the tickers up and just a handful of comments. But I was trying to write some nice summaries, but I I just can't keep that up. I've been just too freaking busy. We've got a move, a physical move going on. I got people that want to meet that don't even like me now, so it's things have busied up a little bit, so I apologize for all that. Uh, my, uh, my rant this week, you know, I don't even really have a rant. I'm just trying to get caught up. Um, I guess my rant would simply be that it's simple because I just am thinking of it right at the moment, but for all those people that um, thought things would never improve and things were over, etc., it's been a pretty good bull market for small cap value and I think for those of you who are trying to understand how to invest and I'm not saying I know how it's just I'm toward uh, the back half of a long career and I'm still hoping to learn how one day but um one you know one observation I would make is simply that all during the time when uh everyone was worried about job cuts and uh GDP going down and and these and and we were here on the show as well if you kept your eye on cash flow yields, so what are these businesses actually throwing off in terms of cash? What would it cost us to own the whole company right now? And that's where fear comes into play. Um, fear certainly affects cash flow, but if cash flow is made up of 12 months of business and there's fear for one month, you know, during that month you might think that no one's ever going to buy anything again. But then you look back, and it turns out you just lost business for one month. Well, one month, or two months for that matter, when you look at year-over-year comparisons, I mean, one month, one out of 12, do the math, 8%, two out of 12, 16%. So I've had this analogy on the show in the past. If you're in a restaurant and it's very loud, you can't even hear the table next to you. You know, a waiter drops a glass, or in this case, a tray of glasses, you've got this silence and you would have thought a moment before there's no way you could hear anything and now you could hear everything but no one's talking so it's uh you know and everyone sort of looks around what's going on boy that sounded scary a little bit but you know just you know basically it, it kind of shakes the place up but then within a few minutes everyone's talking again and and that's human psychology, and we're in that here a little bit. That period when industrial production just plummeted, um, and I think it was in the uh last part of oh eight, um, you know, and it was a, a vertical line, and I did talk about it here on the show, but um it turned out that a lot of companies, you know, you missed a, a month or two months or a quarter of business. But in those months when uh sentiment was so shaken you got an opportunity so enterprise value in effect was shrinking faster than cash flow cash flow yields went up a lot and if you paid attention to that uh, you did pretty well over the last year Um, i had a client call the other day and uh, this client has two accounts with the firm and and one was up in the mid 30s and uh... and one was up seven and he said uh, gee that's odd Um, just trying to understand how these two accounts could be so far off. So, um, you know, we have a computer, fortunately, that can figure this stuff out. And so I was able to point out, I said, well, you sold everything on March 1st of 2009, and then you got back in with everything uh, at the end of April. And so he missed two months because it was so scary in March and you know my policy is I I don't try to convince someone that I have any idea when the stock market go might go up it's like things look kinda cheap but I have no idea when when they might recover they might stay cheap a long time and you just have to be comfortable with the notion that you own a lot of cheap stocks that other people haven't noticed are cheap yet um, but I don't have any sense of the timing And I don't know many value investors that worry about that or do have a good, you certainly have an opinion about the timing. But then you have to say, what's your conviction level of that? Or what's the truth about the actual probability of being correct about timing? And it's, in my opinion, low. And yet you can be, uh, you know, you can have a lot of conviction about valuation if you focus on cash flows and if you tie those cash flows into behaviors of consumers, and you start multiplying that by the hundreds of millions of consumers. You know, you have a law of large numbers, and you can draw some big-picture conclusions, and that's, you know, I think how a lot of value investors uh, look at the fundamentals. That's certainly how we do it. But the point in this case was this client missed 60 days and missed uh, 30, you know, the the market, or I I should say our composites, but small-cap value in general during that period if you missed March and April of '09, you missed '09 basically. And so uh, uh, this is a, not much of a rant, but it's just a rant, sort of, half rant, against those people who um, who try to time the market. And, you know, uh, my point would be don't try to do it. Just try to stay in cheap stocks all the time. Allocate some of your portfolio to small-cap value or to equities, but stick to that over longer periods, and stay fully invested in those strategies that you've selected. That's all the consultants do, and they get huge fees. So look, free advice, um, and I didn't invent it, but you know, it's um, it's common sense. I think uh, to uh, stay invested, and and um, and sometimes you know, if you miss even two months, you miss the whole thing. So. There you go. All right, three stock ideas this week, uh, and this is from last week's issue. I apologize. I'm really going to try to catch up this week to this, but um, I'm going to go page number order. This is the March 5th edition, and you got uh, a bunch of uh, transportation, which I think there's some some good ideas in there in the rails and such. But uh, you know, some of these we talked about a year or two ago. Uh, the cat's out of the bag on those. There is a recovery going on and transportation's involved. So, um, you know, the secret's out on that. So restaurants, um, I have recommended uh, California Pizza Kitchen before on the show. You've got brand, affordable, good food. Uh, CEC, Chuck E. Cheese, uh, I own, and that's not really a restaurant, but sort of an organized babysitter of crowds that serves food and i guess there's beer and wine for adults so and it's cheap so i like that i might have talked about it last time these came up um so i don't remember uh, but i passed on that i ended up um looking at a couple things that still look cheap um because uh you know they they look a little um a little under pressure or uh you know there's been something people don't don't understand misunderstood etc um first up this week, <coughs> excuse me, the Brinks Company, Ticker BCO. And this is one that's on page 323. I have talked about this in the past. You can pull all of our shows. We've had five years of shows. They're all on the internet. Um, if you pull our XML code off the homepage into even Internet Explorer or Excel, uh, you'll see things that you can rank by ticker. And you can go and look at our past comments. I also keep a best ideas list off the home page. You can click on it, and what'll pop in is a page I keep in Yahoo, but it comes in as a file um, that is in a Yahoo Finance format of my best ideas over the last three or four, five years, and uh, and I buy them, and then I leave them in there. I don't trade, so you can see a long history of recommendations uh, from uh, the value guys. Off our homepage, so I know I've talked about this one before. Brinks, they've had an event at the end of '08 that was so troubling to Value Line that they stopped rating it. They suspended the rating, and the event was simply that they spun out the uh, uh, the uh, home security business. And I'm just looking here, uh, Brinks Home Security, and I think when they did that. Uh, that company was viewed as being the majority of the value. And so the stock went from a high of 75 uh, in 08 to uh, a low of uh, 18 post-deal. Some of that is just the bear market, but some of it is the next day after the spin-out. I can't quite tell which is which. Um, You know, revenues... I can't, again, I can't tell. I don't know if these are backstated for the new company. Um, You know, and it, let's see. No way, no. It says here they have adjusted the the financials for a change in the Venezuelan currency. So that's good. All right. But um, it's not clear whether they've gone back and backed out the... uh, revenue from the home security business so I don't know about that but what I do know is that um, on an enterprise value to EBITDA basis right now this thing looks pretty darn cheap and my calculate so I start from that point what gets me about this is is that and uh, the way I calculate that is I simply I have a market cap of 1.2 billion. So that's shares times price. And I'm going to add total debt to that. So according to Value Line, they've got about 300 million. That gets me to 1.5 billion. And I'm going to subtract cash. Cash just about offsets the debt here. So I'm back to the market cap, 1.2 billion. The stock is up about uh, uh, 5% because of my tardiness in talking about this. And so. It's, you know, 1300000000 billion, let's say. Um, meantime, the EBITDA on this, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, which might be a proxy for cash flow before I have to allocate some of the cash to uh, dividends, but that's discretionary. Capital spending, part of that's discretionary, certainly, and then working capital, and that might not be so discretionary if I have to fund an inventory you know out in the field because of growing whatever stores warehouses customers so but it's a decent proxy um and so in value line, you can multiply the operating margin times the revenue. We've learned from past issues that that's the EBITDA number, so eleven and a half percent that's forecast for next year. I'm at a, So just call it 10, make the math easy. I'm at 320, and I got a billion two in enterprise value. So the math on that, that's about four times. Um, you know, why is that? Well, you know, I'm not sure. I do see, um, you know, I do see a capital spending number around 90 million and depreciation around 170 million. So... You know, some of the operating margin um, or or some of the difference between the PE, which would be an E over a P number, and the uh, uh, EBITDA over enterprise value, which is, you know, one's a yield on just the equity holder, E over P, and one's a yield on the owner of the whole company. And so they give you a sense of the value of the actual um, leverage involved and whether that's a good deal or bad deal. And in this case, something is a very good deal because if we own the whole company, uh, we get a 25% cash on cash return. And if we own just the equity, we get, a. according to this, the P.E. is 17, 1 over 17. Now, there is a tax effect in there, but even 1 over 10 is 10% versus 25%. Some of it is the uh, extra depreciation in cash flow. Um, but some of it also might be, um, you know, I can't tell exactly here. Just very low cost interest on the bonds, so or on the debt part, which would also make that advantageous to buy back. Um, uh, let's see. No, and that's not true. It would be disadvantageous. So, um, you know, I'm not sure. There's something going on here with something. Could it be the tax rate? No you know i'm not sure it's the capital structure of 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 some sort could be negative working capital but somehow um the enterprise value owning the whole company is much better than just owning the stock so part of the deal here is you have to expect that over time or believe over time that um that's going to unwind itself somehow once i look past the valuation i'm looking at a very stable return on capital it's not great But it's, uh, you know, it's low teens. Next year, it's 10%, but with the recent spin-out, I'm sure there's some economies of scale they're going to have to realize here over time. Um, The operating margin's been very stable. And I think, you know, in a spin-out situation, oftentimes over the next couple years, you're going to see some opportunities for the remaining business to get more efficient because they were doing some things that, you know, benefited the larger division prior to the spin-out. So you'll see that roll in over the next couple of years. And uh, what else can I tell you here? Uh, Officers and directors own 5%. You know, that's nice in a spin-out. Uh, International is um, 70% of the business. There is some brand element here. And uh, they've got a history of buying stock back. So they seem to know what to do with your money. Which is not continue to expand when uh, the returns are dropping, and that would also explain uh, the stability in uh, returns on capital. Um, according to Value Line, they've got some new businesses they're rolling out, which you know is good for a company that has uh, growth ambitions. So they're doing some things. Looks like in the uh, what? I don't know. CompuSafe, cash handling service to small business and small business. Anything people were doing in small business, of course, was subject to the same problems as industrial production or any company that caters to new business formations, um, new relationships starting up, and I'm sure Brinks is one of those. They just It just fell off a cliff, new business formations, so the new customers you might normally get weren't there, and that probably accounts for uh, some of the slowdown in the business, of course, and some of the fear um, that you had back a year ago. So nothing big here. Looks like a 20% return. Most of that is in cash-on-cash yield. Value line's anticipating a pretty slow growth rate, mid-single digits, which, uh, you know, that probably means uh, it's a mature market. They've got everybody they're going to get, and they grow at GDP. So Brinks, BCO, page 323. I don't know how exciting that was. Maybe not so much. Um, next up, Dun & Bradstreet, DNB, page 380. And I think, excuse me a sec, i got to take a drink here. My throat seems to be bunching up a little bit. <clears throat> Pardon me. Mm. I just think I'm not doing enough drinking during the show right now. I'm at the 20-minute mark. I've got two stocks to go. And uh, I don't know how we got so deep into the show. Hopefully you fast-forwarded if any of that was boring. Um, Next up, Dun & Bradstreet. Now, what I like about this is that uh, when you're looking for value after a lot of the easy ones have come up, you got to look at some things that have been a little bit, you know, I don't want to say discredited, but okay, I did. I've said that. And Dun & Bradstreet... Um, you know they weren't as discredited as the rating agencies, certainly, and I wouldn't even say they're discredited, so I've misspoken but that whole area of sort of business uh evaluation um you know Dun and Brad puts out data on companies that sounds vaguely capitalistic that's probably bad. Um, it's an easy thing to stop buying if there's a cut in M&A. A A lot of their business, I'm sure, is businesses that want to buy other businesses, want to, you know, get information, and they're a source of this information. So I'm sure they have a lot of long, um, you know, know, annuity-like customers, and that's what I like about it. But I think over the last couple years, it was probably an area that was easy to cut. There wasn't, uh new activity driving new customers, you do have a slow burn on your existing customers, and if they're not being replaced, you could have a decline in customer count. That may have happened here. Um, So I like that backdrop that you might be getting a little bit of a valuation break just because there's some uh, continuing skepticism about the company's ability to um, conduct business going forward. And so my underlying assumption here might be that business will go forward, it's a 5,000-year history of uh, business going forward, and so it will. And information uh, will be in demand, as it always has been, and so uh, you know it will continue to be. I look at a long history of operating margins here, uh, approaching 30%, and right now they're in the low 30s. So that tells me proprietary. If you think about margin as reflecting a markup on cost so if my operating margin is profit after cost divided by sales then I know my costs are 66 percent of sales if my margin is 33 and if my costs are 66 and my revenue is a hundred that means I've got a 50 percent markup on my costs There's 66 and I've added 33 to get to my price if you can mark something up fifty percent and do that every year and uh... and they're putting up you know mid low teens earnings growth and revenue growth then you must be doing something that's hard to copy or those sorts of margins would just be competed away Um, the other thing that's interesting here from a valuation point of view is back in two thousand six the company went to big-time negative equity. And the way that happens in accounting land is if you go out and borrow a bunch of money, which is debt, not equity, and then you use that money to buy your own stock at a premium to book. So let's say your equity, Just I'm going to just make up a bunch of numbers here. Uh, well, I'll use the ones they actually have, which weren't that good. But back in uh two thousand five, their total equity was seventy eight million and then they um they bought seven million shares at what looks like a price of around sixty dollars so seven million shares and you see that by looking at their share count between two thousand five and two thousand six went down seven million and then it went down another. $4 million the year after. So one of the things I like here is this company has a commitment to buying stock back. And I like that because managers obviously could just go build another factory or hire their friends or build a boat or buy an airplane or whatever, and you see enough of that. But when you see companies going into the marketplace and buying stock, uh, you know that they're smart enough to know that they don't have something better to do with the money. And so they're, in effect, giving it back to the shareholders. And rather than give it back to everyone, a little bit to everyone, they give it to the people who want to sell the most. And it's a little bit about capitalism. So there's a price out there. They're buying the stock. If you want to sell it, they gave 7 million people, or 7 million shares, not people, the chance to be bought by them. And so um, I'm just... uh, you know, seeing that here in the numbers and the price again, I don't know, but the stock in those years had a range of 60 to 80, and you know, who knows? Maybe I'm just going to say it was at 70. So, 7 million shares at 70 that's 490 million dollars, and you got to account for it. So, when you buy those shares, 7 million shares, you just bought them uh, for 490 million, you got to deduct that. Out of equity because you just paid that for your own stock. If your equity is only 78 million, which was undoubtedly due to buybacks in prior years, at above book, then your equity goes negative. And uh, when your equity goes negative, you know it's um, oftentimes means that uh, you've you've paid a, a you know a value over book value, whether it's your own stock. Or whether you over you know, you, you pay for an acquisition and a big part of that is um um you know goodwill in the sense of a brand or a customer list and then you, you write that off over time and and uh and so uh you know that, that could lead to negative equity as well as you write off uh you know intangibles. And so th- that's what you have here as well. But what it does from a supply demand point of view, in my opinion, is it sometimes prevents Demand. There's companies that can't look at stocks with negative equity, and so when they're running their big screens, uh, those stocks don't screen. And right now, I think Dunn and Brad may still be a little bit in that zone because they continue to have negative equity, and they're still pulling out of it. They went to uh, negative equity in 2006, and then they had a big buyback again in 2008, another 3 million shares at a price of maybe 70 Took themselves down to negative 850 uh, equity, 850 million. So you got a bunch of buyers that probably can't even look at this thing, and they're quickly working their way out. Uh, Estimated for the end of 2010, back to negative 560, next year, back to negative 340. They're earning 300 million in net profit a year, so within a couple years their equity is going to turn positive and that in and of itself is going to lead to more demand. The stock is right now at a twenty percent discount to the market P.E. and uh, again if you had that hair off this thing you'd be up toward a market P.E. and meantime you're going to have growth in new business formations. The economy is turning really right now and so um, their traditional business probably is going to get a little bit better their returns on capital, because their capital base has been um, shrunk due to buybacks, is very high, and once they get to positive equity, um, and if they can maintain this 33% margin, which looks like it goes back forever, uh, this thing is going to get, you know, a heck of a multiple, in my opinion, when you get down the road a little bit. It's not super cheap on an enterprise value to EBITDA basis right now. I calculate about $4.5 billion in enterprise value and their EBITDA is around 600 million so you're you know you're around seven seven and a half times that would be a thirteen percent cash on cash return that's in a world where you know treasuries are under five and uh, according to value line they're gonna grow eight or nine percent over the next five ten years and maybe that's GDP plus some pricing who knows but you're up around twenty percent uh, total return on this and that's pretty good um, and I think this one's pretty safe done in Bradstreet page three eighty And then finally, um, something very similar, um, is, uh, is Moody's ticker MCO page 387. And, um, what I like about Moody's is the first thing I'm drawn to again is a long time, uh, sustainable margin that in this case is usually over 50%. Right now it's running over 40%. And, um, You've got a, a pretty clean balance sheet here in terms of, uh, you know, $6 billion in market cap. They've got a billion in total debt, $400 million in cash. Um, interest coverage is 14 times. That's because of their high margins. So you look back, very sustainable, um, high margins. Uh, you know, revenue hasn't grown much of, much of late. Moody's, of course, a rating agency. And... Uh, they have, uh, you know, had their reputation, uh, you know, on, uh, a little bit soiled due to the easy manner in which the rating agencies were rating these some of the uh, bonds uh, and the mortgage-backed securities AAA when, in fact, the risks may have been higher than that, and you have to question the cozy relationship between the issuers and the uh, the rating agencies. So presumably, when we go through some of this financial. Uh, re-regulation, you're going to have some regulations coming here with the rating agencies, and I'm sure they're going to do something to separate, um, you know, try to reduce the conflicts between the rating agencies and the issuers, and we'll just have to see what happens with that. Also, a lot of municipal securities that required ratings, which in effect uh, forced a market to be a certain size and and also uh, made pricing, you know, more stable, um, i think that's going to be unwinding so there are some things happening in this industry that i can't exactly tell you how that's all going to turn out but it's going to probably be something where um y- you know not as many bonds are going to have ratings and uh we'll just have to see about that or or they won't be required to have ratings maybe is a better way to say it and it remains to be seen how many investors themselves will want to continue to have ratings because ultimately You can regulate whatever you want, but if a guy that's buying a bond wants to see a Moody's rating on it and it doesn't have one, then uh, he ain't buying that bond. So ultimately, we'll have to see what the marketplace wants. And that's where I think a little bit of my bet is, is that uh, the company's been, uh, I won't say beaten down because it's still got a pretty healthy multiple, but it's at a discount where it normally trades at a huge premium a stock that often is at a 20 30 40% premium because of the annuity the growth in debt consistent growth in debt um has led to big premiums here you've got the sentiment that you're going to have a reduction in debt and um and you might have a lower market share in terms of rated rated debt as a as a percentage of total debt and I'll give you that that's true but I would also argue that the valuation has more than made up for that the stock at the high Traded at $76. Now it's $28. So clearly a lot of that's in the stock. Value line rates at a a, a 3. Um, but, you know, we've got a recovery going on. Debt will be increasing. If the banks don't have enough capital to issue the type of debt they have in past recoveries, and that very well may be. Uh, we've talked on past shows about... Um, you know, lending capacity as it's related to the banks. Uh, capital requirements are going up at the same times that banks took big hits to capital because of losses. So the capacity, the lending capacity of banks is certainly down. But, um, you know, the marketplace itself, um, you know, may just gain share from banks as a result of banks having less capacity. And um, in that case, you have a chance that Moody's ratings, while they may be a smaller share of publicly issued debt, it might be that publicly issued debt gains share of total debt, and they're okay. You know, I don't know. But my point might be that the stock price is already uh, reflecting that. According to Value Line, there's uncertainty looming on legal and regulatory fronts. I may have just said that as well, but not as well. And, uh... They expect the corporate finance segment to be a catalyst for Moody's to recover, again, I agree, more MA and and stuff like that. The main thing they have is brand to the marketplace in bonds. If people want to buy a bond, uh, they want to know what the Moody's rating is. Even if certain AAA buyers of mortgage-backed securities feel bagged, not everybody does, and so I think they're going to still have a marketplace. It's a good value. Uh, they are uh, seven and a half times enterprise value to EBITDA, so that's going to be some, you know, around 13%. And Value Line says they're going to grow 6%. So it's a very similar story to uh, Dunn and Brad. It may be a little more leveraged to the outcome of this financial regulation as it relates to ratings and the requirement of ratings on municipal securities. But what have you? Maybe you buy a little bit of both. Moody's. Ticker, MCO, page three hundred eighty seven. And that's all I have this week. Uh favorite idea this week uh, is gonna have to be Dun and Brad. Stable growth in the demand for information. Dun and Brad Street, DNB, page three hundred eighty. And that's all I have this week, everybody. Thanks for listening in. See you next week.